it's a celebration or it was a celebration. It seems like a celebration that we could even consider ourselves a celebration that the adversary suffered the fate that he had plotted against the people. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Hello. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Good morning. Morning, everybody. Hey, we've got uh, an interesting, an interesting change in my household. My youngest. Yeah, uh, it's not what you think. My youngest has a girlfriend. Whoa. <laughs> Cute enough, but can he stop watching like videos on his phone long enough to actually engage with a girl? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do wonder how this generation manages to get uh, get close to anybody <laughs> because it does seem does seem like that is their entire interaction with other people is is electronically, but <laughs> but it's it's funny. She's been here a couple of times and. You know, we try to give them a little privacy. So sometimes I'm off in the office or doing something else. You'll walk into the room and you'll see them suddenly jump like they're <laughs> like, like something's been going on. And you're like, oh, what's happening in here? I don't know. <laughs> but it is funny because you mentioned watching the videos because <laughs> uh, yesterday um, I was in the kitchen doing something and they were in the living room and we have a clear open view of the kitchen. And I can see the two of them. They're watching a movie. They got a movie going on the TV. But then Isaac's got his phone out, and they're both watching videos of his phone at the same time. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, you people, why can't you get off of this stuff? And <laughs> oh, so, well, and anyway. how did he even notice her in the first place with his eyes? Was Did, did she, like, send him a Snapchat? Is that how they met? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They, <laughs> they, go to, they go to school together, and she's, uh, I don't know. I mean. For everything I hear about it, he, he would probably kill me if he knew I was talking about this on the podcast. Probably. It's <laughs> but, you know, I don't think he listens anyway. So, but, um, but they go to school and apparently she is a rather desirable girl within the school. And, and, uh, he's, uh, I don't know. Apparently he's, <laughs> he's, uh, up there too. I don't know. He's an attractive <laughs> kid. He's a good looking kid. K-pop himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's. <laughs> He started working out lately, so he's been bulking up, and and uh, yeah, so got some place to put all that testosterone. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. And, oh, he's gonna kill me if he ever listens to this. But last year, <laughs> la- last year, he revealed to his mom that apparently uh, somebody overheard or he overheard something. Some of the girls just talking about him, and he was like one of the top three hottest guys in the school. So yeah, I believe that he's an attractive <laughs> kid. Uh, of course, he's my he's my son. Uh, <laughs> silence. silence did you hear the silence i felt the silence. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's that i don't know that's fun it's it's fun seeing your kids uh progress and you know get get socially interactive and things like that and they went to homecoming here a few weeks ago and and that was fun and it's uh, really honestly it's been good just seeing him because do that because he's he's a moody teenager and uh having having this girl in his life i think has has helped his attitude a lot so so that's that's on the upside so that's fun but yeah karen karen thought i was going to talk about a puppy that we're getting but we'll talk about that next week maybe because i think we're getting the dog this week so we'll see how that goes so yeah in, in the chronicles of matt's house 
you have all of the updates. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about Esther today. We have been, well, last week we talked about Esther, the book of Esther, and where we are kind of in the storyline is that many, many, many of the Jews have gone back now to Jerusalem uh, after it was a King Darius said that they could go back and rebuild the temple. And so a lot of Jews uh, left Babylon, went back to uh, Jerusalem and started started rebuilding. And we've seen how they kind of procrastinated and stuff there doing that. But meanwhile, a lot of the Jews did not go back. Some of them even went further East now we're finding um, people even as far as the capital city of of uh, what is it the Persians and uh, in, in Shushan or Susa depending on how you want to yeah. say it and yeah. and so we've been introduced to uh, a guy named Mordecai whose cousin yes cousin was orphaned and he raised her her name was um, oh what is her Hebrew name all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. Hadassah. I love I love that name. It's a really pretty name, but you, it's one of those deals. It's sort of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nobody ever remembers their Hebrew names. <laughs> Everybody knows them by their Babylonian names, and so she and has I the... And Azariah. Yeah, those guys that you just proved to me that people can remember. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but so Hadassah is better known as, as Esther. And she found herself in the position of being the queen next to Ahasuerus, who is um, the 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 king of Persia, famous for uh, the battle against the 300 Spartans. Which I just love that story. So I have, I have to always bring that up because it's so cool. Uh, it is interesting because that king, he's not really a nice guy, but yet he seems to rule his country fairly well. I don't know. But uh, other than the way he treats his treats, <laughs> treats some women and stuff. So, uh, but we find probably par for the course at that time, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you want to parade a woman around in nothing but her crown, it's maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not the greatest thing. But, he was uh, on seven days of drinking, Matt, and he was feeling merry. This is true. This is true. Who's <laughs> um, Mary? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Who's Mary? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, boy. Well, I'm glad you said it before <laughs> I did, Tracy, so you could be the, the, the awful, terrible. And, and there was silence from the two two women on our panel. There was silence. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, gosh. But I know they were thinking it, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. But so meanwhile, we also got uh, introduced to a man named Haman, who is basically the king's right hand man. And he has an utter hatred for Mordecai, such a hatred that he wants to not only kill Mordecai, he wants to wipe out the entire Jewish population within the Persian Empire. And he manages to get a decree put out uh, to do such a just such a thing. Um, and by so lying. by lying. How did yes. he lie? He's, he told the king, there's there's a, a group of people in the nation who don't obey you and they mm. don't do this and they're not, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I guess it wasn't really a lie, but it was a little bit exaggerated because it was yeah. made to sound like they opposed the king. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Otherwise, that... the king wouldn't have wouldn't have gone for it. Right, right, yeah. And so he managed to get a decree put out that on a particular day of the year, 
it's going to be game on and all the Jews are going to get wiped out. It's such an interesting story because I feel like, you know, most of the time or a lot of the time in the Bible, we don't get this much detail, but we even have conversations between Haman and his wife and, you know, and, and things like that. So you can see why uh, this story, I mean, it's just so rich. It's, Mm -hmm. It's very interesting that you get such detail, especially about someone who is so obsessed with his own position in the world yeah Um, he's a really bad character yeah yeah well and so even as even as he's managed to get this decree made he still he just still harbors this just ridiculous hatred for mordecai to the point he goes to his wife like you were just talking about amy and and his friends and he's like what should i do about this guy and they talk him into building a gallows specifically to have Haman hanged on. And that's kind of where things get left off. Other than now Esther, or see, there's so much to tell about the backstory here. Uh, Mordecai has has encouraged Esther to go talk to the king, which is dangerous. Because if you're not supposed to be there, going approaching him uninvited can, can bring on the death sentence. But... Uh, to go talk to the king and tell him what is happening. And so she has invited the king and Haman to a banquet, which has happened. Uh, they got invited to a banquet, and she subsequently got them there and then invited them to a second one, which which I was reading uh, some notes on, which I, I, I came to understand. It wasn't her necessarily being hesitant at this point. Once she's already talked to the king and gotten his attention, I've, I always kind of got the impression that, you know, come to my house and we'll have a banquet. And then he, they get there and she's like, uh, come tomorrow and we'll have another banquet. Well, I guess this is just sort of a this was sort of a practice that would happen where you would just kind of gradually get up to and by uh, telling people your request. And so it, it, she wasn't so much being hesitant. She was just following protocol, I guess. Well, so, about and, and he liked to have a lot of parties consecutively a lot of days. Seems like it. Hey, okay, party. Yeah. What were you saying, Amy? Yeah, same thing Tracy was saying. Like, we get a, a picture of that in, in Persia at this time anyway. Yeah. You know, they're partying for half a year. Yeah. Yeah. So in between the two the two banquets then that they've been invited to, Haman has gone and talked to his wife and friends. And he's gotten so excited. He's like, oh, I've been invited to this banquet. The queen invited me. And I'm the only other one that she's invited besides the king. And so he's he's feeling really good about himself and and showing off to all of his his friends and his wife. And so that's where finally we pick up uh, our reading for this week, where um, it's it's interesting to me how much happens in between the two between the two times. But the king, apparently, I don't know, I guess it must be the night after the first uh, banquet. The king is having trouble sleeping. And so <laughs> it's sort of funny to me, but it's sort of like he wants to have a bedtime story read to him because he can't sleep. But then he he has somebody come in and read the records of the day. So they bring in the chronicles of what's been happening. And he gets told about something that happened. I guess he didn't know about and we read about last week where Mordecai had heard about and ended an assassination attempt by a couple of the eunuchs of the palace, he had overheard him talking and, and uh, had, had kept the king from, from getting assassinated. And so this comes up in the Chronicles, and the king decides he wants to honor Mordecai. Isn't that kind of crazy, though, that 
tell me a bedtime story about me. Yeah. <laughs> tell me a tell me about me. That's there's nothing there's nothing uh, uh, egotistical about that at all. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was just a way that he could you know be reminded of things that happened and be brought up to speed on things that he didn't necessarily know about. It's interesting to me that he didn't know about an assassination attempt on him, but. Uh, I guess you don't take no, everything he, to the king. He knew about that because he knew about that because he halted it. But I think he forgot the detail that it was Mordecai that brought the information. Mm. Yeah, right. you know, he's because, a busy, busy man. Like, yeah, and 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 if somebody brings you news of a of an intended assassination attempt, that's what you're going to focus on. You're not going to immediately turn and say, "Wait, who brought me this information, and how shall I reward them?" Yeah, no, you're going to gonna figure out if it's true and then or or in his case maybe not just go you know off with their heads or smite or whatever button mm -hmm. it was that the kings had back then yeah. and um anyway yeah yeah well so he's he's looking for somebody he's looking for some advice he's like well who, who, who who's around right now and so he says well mordecai or uh Haman. Haman just happens to have come into the court and and Haman is there. The reason he is there is because he wants to get Mordecai hanged. And I don't know what his I don't know what his uh, excuses or reason is going to be for having it done. But he's there specifically to talk to the king about getting Mordecai. I, I do this it's all the time to get Haman it's because Mordecai hanged. won't bow to him when he's out well, and about. Remember? Sure. I don't I, respect I, that he wants. But, but Matt's. Yeah, I yeah, don't know how he's going to talk the king into that. Yeah, because exactly. okay, you know the king, you know I want the guy hanged because he won't bow to me. Okay, but but they were supposed to bow to Haman, and yeah. like um, when the when Haman describes what the king should do for the man he wants to honor, he says have one of what was it like one of the highest noble princes or something like that from the land lead this man on a horse through one on one of the king's horses through the city crying out blah 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 and and the king says okay go and do that for mordecai so haman was high up mm -hmm. so you know he qualified as one of the noblest princes yeah. to do this thing so i i think haman's rank mordecai stood out for not bowing to him and even the other people who sat at the gate and th that was a that was a reasonably well-respected position but even those people who sat at the gate with him asked him, why don't you bow to him? That's a good point. So I think he just was in trouble for that. And it was it was it's an acknowledgement of rank thing, which any king who has a policy in place that they don't put out their scepter. If you come into the room uninvited, well, then you die. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. this is a king who could appreciate that issue. I don't think he was I don't think he had chosen a bad audience for this idea. It just. God worked it out so that it couldn't accidentally happen without the king really paying attention to who it was and that it was Haman's ego involved. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's that's a good point. I, I tend to forget that how Mordecai, how, see, I keep doing this thing. To me, Mordecai sounds like a bad guy name. <laughs> and oh, Haman, yeah, yeah. Haman sounds like a nice guy name. And it's flipped on us here. I, it's all your Marvel comics background. You it have watched is. too many movies. Yes, <laughs> it probably yes. is. Well, also, I mean, I think it's probably because the Latin term for death is mort, and so anytime yeah. you hear I hear that phrase, it just sort of sounds like a bad guy name. It's not. <laughs> Mordecai is the good guy here. 
Haman is the bad guy here. So anyway, anyway, so yes, Haman wants to get Mordecai hanged, but in the meantime, he finds himself now uh, because of his own suggestion, which is hilarious because of his ego, his ego just figures, oh, who could the king possibly want to honor more than me? And and so he creates this scenario. It's like, yeah, put a robe on him, put him on a on a horse that's got the royal crest on it, have him led around the square by a prince. You know, this basically throw a parade for the guy. And and the king says, great, that sounds awesome. Do that for Mordecai. And I would love, I would love to see Haman's face uh-huh. when when. When the king says that, because because he is just getting, oh, he's just getting hammered with with this whole thing through his own hot coal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When he's got this whole concept of I am going to I am going to give Mordecai, you know, what's coming to him, you know, and (laughs) and sure enough, he's probably just seething. Yeah. Yeah, and and not only disobey. Yeah, and not only that, Mordecai is the guy who has to lead him through the. Haman. Start that over again. Haman is the guy who has to lead Mordecai through the city and 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 proclaim uh, this honor for him. Eh. Would you like to know how I remember Haman's name? Yes, please. It sounds like Hangman. Okay. That's what I wanted to do to them. <laughs> That might help me. That might help me out here. Oh, and by the way, I just looked it up. Mordecai, the Hebrew name Mordecai means little man. <laughs> little man. That's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, I'm not sure why that strikes me so funny, but it just does. <laughs> so after we're after after Haman is forced to give Mordecai this honor, he goes back sulking to his wife just angry oh can you even imagine oh yeah (laughs) and uh, the wife has some kind of bad news for him where she's basically like well if he is a jew there is no way you're going to be able to beat this guy yeah why do you think she says that you know yeah yeah, it is kind of interesting but because i guess probably because she sees now look you just you just had to honor this guy. It would be a politically bad move to do anything against him now. If you, you know, you, you, are you going to be a flip flopper and, you know, look how great this guy is. And, oh, and I want to kill him, you know, politically speaking, I don't think that's going to work out so well. Yeah. Okay. So if I look at her words here, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And so if I look at her words there, it kind of implies that it's because he's already been humiliated. Mm -hmm. He's had to play the servant to a man who has particularly been honored. So it's a step up on one side and a step down on the other. Yeah. Uh, You might want to take down that gallows you built in your front yard. Well, if only that had been the the advice. It makes me think about the people throughout both the Old and New Testament who say things like, well, I've heard what God has done among your people. So I wonder if Zeresh is someone who has heard about 
you know, a little bit about Judaism and maybe she doesn't, she's not maybe a believer, but she knows, Hey, God walks among these people. And so she's wise enough to realize the other, the other side of it though, in my mind is that she lives with Haman and like, she probably almost is, I mean, I just think that he has probably constantly been trying to extract from her everything that he needs. And, you know, like somebody who lives with somebody who's so obsessed with themselves and she's starting to see a crack in that outer facade. I don't know. I just see that part of it too. Maybe it could just be such a thing as like, look, you might want to just back off. You know, it might just be a white wife to her husband. Hey, it's, you might want to back off. You know, I think it kind of falls into what Amy was saying a little bit. When you look in Zechariah 2, 8, for, for thus say the Lord of hosts, he has sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches mm-hmm. the apple of his eye. I love mm-hmm. that verse. Yeah, possible. Do you guys remember in the book, uh, The Hiding Place, when Father Tenboom is asked, um, you know, why are you helping these people because you know they're they're hiding Jewish people, and he says that basically he pities the Germans because they have touched the apple of God's eye. Mm. I don't remember that because I've never read that. Oh man, that's like one of the greatest books in all of literature, <laughs> not just Christian literature, all of literature. I've yeah, never read it. It's pretty amazing. It's so well written. Yeah. Isn't isn't Ahasuerus? Isn't he? Cyrus, the great's grandson. Didn't we talk about that last week? Uh, I think, yeah. yeah, I think, I think so. so. His daughter, Atola, or something like that, is Cyrus's, or is um, Ahasuerus's mummy. Um, but anyway, Cyrus, Cyrus was the one who released the first released the Jews and funded them to go back to their motherland and start rebuilding, right? Right. Mm. So even within the Medo-Persian government, the Jews are not poorly thought of. Right, I agree. Right. And and obviously not, because look how many of them chose to stay. You know, this mm-hmm. is two generations down, and and there's lots of Jews still there. Yeah. Yeah, that's what... 127 provinces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been an interesting thing to me about the entire invasion of Babylon and and moving to the Persians where it didn't seem like there was any kind of a personal vendetta between Babylon and, and and Judah it was just you know Babylon wanted the land and they were doing what they had to do to take it but then they didn't treat it doesn't seem like they treated the people terribly it's not like they were put into slavery it's not like you know I, I've never gotten any real indication that they were oppressed in any way other than being dislocated and but seems like they were allowed to live their lives and have their religion and get jobs and and whatever um and so yeah it's just an interesting just an interesting conquest where because i think so often we tend to think of i mean you know you think of the jewish holocaust and there was definitely personal garbage involved with that and even with this russia ukraine thing you know it's it's just animosity towards each other for different reasons but and some of it is just because one group wants the land that the other one has but but i don't know it's a thousand years old yeah 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 so i don't know war is i don't know war is just weird anyway to me in this aspect but but just um but yeah i mean it seems like just largely speaking the jews didn't have it 
terrible. They just weren't living in their homeland. That's all. Well, there's an interesting thing that you bring up. Like one of the things that happened during the Holocaust was, you know, normal uh, Jewish people or Jewish office or excuse me, um, German officers were allowed to have the, you know, the property of the people whose homes they took over. And so whole households were taken over by German officers. So if you had a wealthy Jewish man in your town and you turned him in, you could have his house and all of its furnishings and blah, 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 blah. Haman is doing exactly the same thing. Like the, the whole scheme is set up so that they can take their stuff. It says that specifically. So mm-hmm. I, um, that's, you know, people are going to go for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, plus Haman's, Haman's vendetta is, uh, it is a vendetta, you know, and he, he is, and it goes back a long ways because we were talking about how that goes all the way back to the, um, I think it was all the way back to the Amalekites when, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, he would have been somewhat related to that King back then. And, and, uh, Mordecai had some distant relation to King Saul's. So if you think back to the major prophets whose job was to warn Israel about the upcoming, uh, what was it, 70-year trip to Babylon they were going to have? Yeah, mm-hmm. 70 years. Um, yeah, like none of none of them, there was actually specific advice there not to try to avoid the captivity. Like there right. were people that were like, oh, we don't want to go to Babylon. We're going to go to Egypt and hide. No, don't go there. Right. right. So it was told to them in advance. It's only going to be this many years. OK, 70 years. Yeah, that's a long time. But it's not it's not like they're being sent back to Egypt. They were told in advance by their prophets that it was going to be a 70 year and then they would return. And so. I guess in the grand scheme of things, that's that's what one generation dies out and the next one is either old or middle aged. You know what I mean? Like pretty much, yeah. Depending when you're when you're born in that. But so there's is it a punishment? Yes. But as far as divine punishments go, it's it's maybe a little bit more of like a one swat spanking than a <laughs> mm-hmm. than anything major. And I I guess. You know, and like what like what I read last week, getting ready for last week's podcast, I was reading about like the Bap- or the uh, Medo Persian style of government and stuff like that. I mean, there was nothing particularly onerous about it. Even Babylon itself had a tendency to take the brightest from each nation and and use them. Like they didn't they didn't kill them. They used them. Mm-hmm. They made eunuchs of them. But they used their brains. You know, they wanted, they improved their own nation by bringing in the brightest and best of other nations that they captured. So, I don't know, I guess, I guess the whole thing, I guess if you're the one going into captivity, it doesn't feel like that. And, it, you know, like, oh, woe is me and I'm stuck here and I can't do anything about it. But it would be really easy to forget that the prophets had warned you in advance after 70 years you're coming home. It would be yeah. easy to forget that, but. I just think as far as captivities goes, it wasn't a bad one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if somebody came to you and was grabbed you out of your house and said, you know, we're going to move you to wherever, you know, you're not going to be happy about that. You're not going to want to oh. do it. So, so Especially yeah. For... I get whiny. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when we're looking at it from the overhead view and saying, eh, yeah. you know, it's it's not the worst. It's It's not, you know, 
I'm not trying to say it was good or easy, but it's just it's not the worst. It's not like getting grounded. Yeah, and, and and I don't know, like when the major prophets spoke, like when the prophets of a nation spoke, obviously the king and the advisors heard it, but like did the average person hear it? I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Probably. Well, probably. But, but remember, like, especially with Jeremiah, there were other prophets who kept saying, yeah, let's go to Egypt. God has shown me, let's go to Egypt. And Jeremiah keeps right. saying, oh, no, no, no. Those are false prophets. So um, the temptation was, of course, to to go to Egypt, to maintain your freedom um, and not obey what God had, had said through Jeremiah. Right. And wasn't there something crazy that happened right then that we read, like part of Egypt, there was a massive like overtake of Egypt during those years that they kind of like had a major crash as a nation. Didn't we study that? Well, I think Egypt ended up. He brought that up. I think, well, yeah, I think Egypt ended up getting taken over just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. They did. <laughs> yep, they did. So it just wasn't any better there. So the second banquet comes. The time for the second banquet and the king just comes right out with it. Says, okay, what is your request? Because like I said, this was this was sort of a slow process of being able to ask for a major request. You would kind of you would kind of, will you please come to my house and have a meal with me? And then okay, well, will you please come tomorrow and then I'll have something else to ask you? And so the king is like, Okay, Queenie, what uh what are <laughs> we what's uh what what's the deal? What are we doing here? And she comes right out with it. Meanwhile, keep in mind, again, Haman is feeling so high and mighty because he's the only other one who got invited to the queen's house for a banquet along with the king. And she comes right out and says, I want you to save my life and save the life of my people because there has been a plot put out against us to destroy us. And she uses the words that I think were in the other ones too. Um, how did she put it? The, 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 uh, I didn't write the notes down, but to kill us and to destroy us and annihilate us. And the king says, who did this? And she says, Haman did this. And the king immediately gets angry, immediately. So mad that he storms off out into the court to try to cool off, I guess. And I don't know, for a guy that has the temper that he does, if he's if he's willing to storm off and cool off, cool off a bit, uh, um, he must be pretty mad. But then well, I wonder if the wine had something to do with it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because sometimes people, that's one of their things when, you know, when they're under the influence, they get, you know, a little bit quicker to anger. Mm -hmm. um, because it basically did. It pointed that out. The king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the uh, palace garden. You know, maybe that kind of added fuel to it. But they said, it says before that, Haman was terrified. Mm -hmm. for the king and queen so he knows he's in for it at this point yeah yeah he's so terrified but, go ahead but like uh when the king asks esther who is he where is he the man who has dared to do such a thing she says an adversary and enemy this vile haman mm -hmm. like she calls him straight out yeah yeah that yeah that verse that verse really sticks out to me because that that uh you know what and what Go sticks ahead. out to me is that she says, you know, if we had only been sold into slavery, I would have said nothing. Mm. Uh, yep. I would have held my the follow up line to that is such female flattery to his ego. I can't even hardly read it with a straight face. Go ahead. <laughs> your best, Amy. What part do you think you can't say with a straight face? So the, where it says, um, hang on, let me find it. It's in verse 
for, let's see, had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's not the, that's, that's oh. not the translation. Okay, so that's a, that's the New King James. So NIV was what I was reading. So the NIV does with, does this with it. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, because mine doesn't say it like that at all. Yeah, so the king's loss is his loss of peace of mind or his loss of energy at having to think about such a trivial matter or something like that. See, in the way it reads in the King James, it's more like, you know, these people are a productive part of society. Right. And That's Haman wants to take them down and, yeah. and you will suffer great you know, damage if this happens. Mm. Okay, so I got to say, you guys, like I have this parallel version of the Bible. It's got two translations and two paraphrases next to each other. And I often read across. So I'll end up reading the same passage, you know, two or three times. Right. And in this book, I have actually found for the first time in anything we've read so far, irreconcilable differences between New King James and NIV. Mm. Well, don't you feel like you have to go to the original languages in order to get the real meaning most of the time? Like, it's fine to use all those and try to see what other people have done with it. But unless you unless you look at what what word was actually used, you, well, you can't. OK, but there's, but there's two points of view on what word was actually used. And that's why there's different translations. So New King James, ESV, NASB mm -hmm. are all word to word translations. Mm -hmm. NIV is a meaning to meaning translation where they get Hebrew scholars to say, in that era, what mm -hmm. did that Hebrew word mean? And sure. so those, those subtleties of colloquial understanding, you know, mm -hmm. time and place understanding, we lose that. Okay, like, um, what's, a, what's a good example? Um, the word silly, right? Our English word silly mm -hmm. used to mean blessed. No hundreds kidding. and of years ago, when they started using the word silly, it meant someone who had been blessed. And mm -hmm. then over the years, it went from meaning just in local understanding, right? Just in local use understanding, it went from blessed to pure to naive to now what we understand is silly, right? So that's so that's where the meaning to meaning translations hold their value is because you get to somebody who speak who knows how to speak old Hebrew, right? Right. Mm. So anyway, I that's why I find value in reading the different translations side by side is because I don't speak those original language languages. And I do want the word to word translation, but I also want the meaning to meaning translation. And that adds depth for me. But in this case, I came upon some things that were really different, really different. And the biggest one is that what the New King James refers to as a gallows mm. all the way through this and a hanging, the NIV refers to as a pole and an impaling. Ooh. Huh. Whoa. Those aren't close to the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And, and, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't have a way to resolve that. But anyway, I just, I thought it was interesting. So here we are, you know, working our way through the Bible timeline. We're all the way up to Esther. And this is the first time I have found something that to my mind is an irreconcilable difference where I can't figure it out by doing mm. a little research. Anyway, very strange. I'm done talking. No, that's, in, that's strange, but it's, but it's also interesting considering 
maybe before we get all done today, we'll talk about some of the parallels that I've seen that we see in in all of this stuff. But uh, being a being a pole to be stuck on rather than hanging has different implications to me than than a hanging. But at any rate, my Accordance app allows me to just touch any word and then bring up the Hebrew, and it, it says that the word hes which is the Hebrew word that we're looking at for gallows. Um, it says is used for tree, a wooden object or a tall wooden object. Mm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I could see why that's a little confusing. Well, a little confusing, but you know, uh, it has, it has echoes to me of the cross. Mm. If, when you think of it in that terms, you know, but um, we can get to that here in a little bit. Well, Haman is so distressed now about his his situation that he has literally fallen prostrate, it would seem, down on the couch that the queen is on in his begging. And as he as the as he is pleading for his life, practically laying on top of the queen right then, the king walks back in and is like. Are you kidding me? Are you even going to assault the queen while I'm here in in the in the building? And 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 uh, about that time, one of the eunuchs says, "You know, uh, there's this there's this brand new gallows or whatever that's uh, out out there that um, I think this would be a great thing to stick Haman on <laughs> this gallows or or pole, whichever it is, is fifty cubits high." Can you, you do even the, imagine? You do the math on this. That's 75 feet. Haman was really planning on making a spectacle out of this thing. I mean, this isn't just like a little, let's, you know, let's take him out behind the woodshed and take care of him. This was, I am going to stick this guy up. I am going to give him what's coming to him. You know, we're, we're going to show him. Well, that to me is why the wooden pike makes sense. Like something... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, out of medieval history, it would have been, you know, like, what do they say that, um, oh, shoot, what was his name? Vlad the Impaler. You know, yeah. like, those were things that people Dracula. did. Dracula. <laughs> yeah, oh, Count Dracula. Like, they would line their driveway with the dead bodies of those that they'd slain to warn others. Um, you know, don't mess with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's brutal, but it looks like it's also sort of normal for that era. Yeah, yeah. But so uh, it just to me once again, Haman's Haman's irrationality uh, here is, or is, I don't know, is it irrational or is it just egotism? Is just playing itself against him yet again because now this eunuch has said, "Well, there's this thing right out there. It looks like a good way to punish him to me." And the and the king says, "Yeah, I agree. Let's stick Haman up on that thing." And, and look, great visibility for the huddled masses. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so whether he is hanged or impaled, um, Haman is stuck out there for, for everyone to see. And it's he ends up getting the punishment that he had planned for Mordecai, which is uh, just a lesson to you, kids. Don't, uh, don't let your ego get away because a lot of times it just... Uh, <laughs> It gets in your own way after a while. You uh, you you put yourself into a you can put yourself into a real bad position if you start trying to get one upman on somebody, and and uh, haven't really haven't really thought it through. 
haven't really uh haven't weighed all of all of the all of the uh information and in and in this case clearly Heyman really hadn't put it's like he hadn't really put a whole lot of of uh research into who Mordecai was cuz it seems to me maybe it wouldn't have been terribly hard to find out that that the queen was his cousin although she had been keeping it secret and and uh so i don't know well i was just going to yeah point that out that it specifically says that she now comes and and says to the king you know this is my relationship with mordecai mordecai so yeah <laughs> mhm yeah well so beyond this then we get into chapter 8 and Haman's house is given to Esther so remember you were talking about how see it's just more and more and more all of this stuff keeps coming back on to Haman what he has had intended to happen to Mordecai or Mordecai how you want to say that um it keeps coming back on Haman even now after he's dead all the you know now uh, Esther is given his house and the signet ring that had been given to Haman and allowed him to make this terrible judgment against the, uh, the against the Jews. That signet ring now is given to Mordecai, and he's essentially put into the position that Haman was in. And meanwhile, Hester is pleading with the king to reverse Haman's order. Now, I don't know. This is interesting to me. Where the king, rather than just reversing the order, he has them create another order. Well, I mean, that's sort of a thing throughout this for throughout this entire book is that the Persians, the way they thought was once you make a law, it's the law, period. End of story. Right. Can't be reversed. And so the solution is actually brilliant. In verse 11, uh, he granted that the Jews in every city be able to stand for their life and destroy and to slay any who come against them. Um, and, you know, and so just that power of self-defense is granted to them. And the whole thing dissipates. So it's one thing to go take everything that your neighbor owns by force if they can't defend themselves. It is quite another to come upon an armed enemy. And and so he just, by giving them the right of self-defense, the whole thing just diffuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than reversing it, they just make this new, this new law. And the Jews are allowed to defend themselves. And Mordecai, Mordecai now finds himself out like in royal apparel, uh, the people of the city are rejoicing. It even says that many people became Jews after all of this. So it sounds like there was a lot of conversion through this story. People seeing, I guess, this victory. Mm-hmm. And maybe God's uh, hand in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're seeing seeing something happen that, you know, it is a it is a really amazing story. And when you can see God's hand in it and... um just the fact that it that it resulted in a lot of conversion is is pretty interesting. Obviously, interesting to uh, whoever wrote the book here because they they pointed it out too. And so, yeah, they're they're able to. I, I'm a little surprised that anybody even tried at this point, but it seems like some people did still try. It was on the what was it the thirteenth day of a particular month. I didn't write it down. I'm sure I could look it up here real quick, but um, which actually it is. It is significant because it has to it, it has historical impact even today still with the Jewish community. But um, some still tried to go out, apparently, and and kill the Jews and the Jews just raised up and 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 took care of them. 
uh, says they killed 500 men in Shushan, plus Haman's 10 sons. But the difference here is that they didn't take any of the plunder. So they defended themselves. But then beyond that, they didn't try to take any more profit from it. And then at Esther's request, the following day, they're able to continue because I guess people are still trying and they killed another 300. So that's an interesting principle, right? Because all throughout the time of the Exodus and as they're invading into Canaan, etc., God tells them over and over again, don't take the plunder, don't take the plunder. And it's it's weird in a way, because you would think anytime you invade anything, you you take the plunder. But God repeatedly says, I will provide for you. And that's something in God's mind where um, don't take the plunder. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of uh, fascinating to me that that's what he, they're living by that principle right here. Yeah, there were plenty of there were there were. And I can think of times when they did take the plunder. When when was that time when um, when God killed and uh, just this massive army was like 180,000 people. Yeah. And the angel of God kills them at night. And then the city, which has been starving and starving and starving because it's, it's been under siege, comes out and just plunders the whole camp the next day. So there are definitely times when plunder does happen. Yes. But I remember when they were leaving Egypt, he specifically said, I'll take care of it. I'll tell them to send you out with this, yes. this, and this. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. And sure enough, the Egyptians came to them and they were here. Take cloth, take jewelry, take my take my my uh, 35 pound gold bars that I keep lying about in the back of my, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, they, and and that was how they built the, ta- the tabernacle out in the middle of nowhere. That's how they had the nice, luxurious things, the jewelry to melt down, the coins to melt down, whatever, the fabric. What, what are you going to be walking around in the wilderness for 40 years carrying fine linen? They mm-hmm. plundered the Egyptians because God made it happen. So I I like how. Was that? I don't I don't know if that was really plundering, though. Well, because, that's the word he because used. Because God so said they're the going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that is different. They didn't take it. Too. It was given to them. Yeah, but right. that's the word God used. This, he right. said, this is how you will plunder them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it is an important distinction, though, because if they were just going out and killing everybody and taking the stuff, the implication would be that the Israelites went out and killed everybody to take their stuff. In order to take their stuff, right. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, God was just like, don't, don't take the stuff. And then he would actually punish them fairly severely if they did. Who was, that was one of the first, um, that was one of those first stories when the Israelites were in the wilderness and somebody took. uh, Buried the gold. Yeah, he wasn't supposed silver. to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who oh, was yeah, that? from Jericho, Aiken. Mm-hmm. Aiken, that's right. He took right. some silver and like a couple of robes and buried it in the dirt under his tent. Yeah. Yeah, and, and God had said, don't do that, and he did it anyway. And because the point wasn't the stuff, the point was these are people that are they're bad people. Well, in chapter 9, I find it um, disturbing, actually, that in verse 10, it says that they they took the sons of Haman and, and killed them. And then in verse 13, it says, Then said Esther, if it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews. Uh, to let Haman's ten sons to be, be hanged upon the gallows. Mm-hmm. They're already dead. Yeah. And that's pretty disturbing. Like, this is a brutal time in history. It's so brutal. And they, they go and kill these men and then go ahead and put them on these pikes. And you're like, hmm, lovely. Lovely. 
that was all. I just wanted to say something disturbing. <laughs> no, it was it, no, it was kind of it was it was a bit disturbing. Yeah, well, we're going to make it a, an an example of, of them to kind well, of well, and and I would just say, in the era of no cameras, this was one of the ways that you made your point. Mm-hmm. So, like last last week when we recorded, we were talking about how King Ahasuerus Xerxes had like this really brutal streak to him. Like this man had a wicked temper. Right. And there was, I think it was Libya. I think it was Libya. The, the, at one point when he was wanting to go in invade, um, well, a bunch of countries. And at the end of his march across several nations was ended up being Sparta, right? The famous battle with Sparta. Right. He was drafting or rather conscripting for his army. And he conscripted every male between this age and this age of every province that was under his, his purview. Well, this one leader of another country where the entire country was under his, under his reign, and, and I think it was Libya, the guy had five sons. All five were within conscription age. So all five were going to have to leave and go off for war. And so he comes to Ahasuerus and he says, well, can my heir stay home? Like he's going to not only run my estate, but he's going to run this area. So can my heir please not have, not be cons- conscribed into your army? And Ahasuerus's Xerxes response to that was to take that oldest son, cut his body in half from top to bottom, lay one half of his body on each side of the road, and then march his entire army between those halves of the body as it lay there decomposing, right? And this would include the five younger brothers of that person. So this is a brutal era, and there isn't television, there isn't internet, you don't have everybody with a phone communicating instantly across distances. And I think that they were a lot more graphic when it came to war and victory and, you know, what this lawyer that I used to know in Alaska, he used to call it dancing in the entrails of your enemies. And then he would get up and do this funny looking little hula thing. And it was just kind of like, you know, there, there were times in history where this is how people acted because there was no other way to communicate well and permanently what you had done. Kind of strange. Horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little gross, a little disgusting. Do you, do you guys remember? I mean, the, the Hebrews weren't any better. Do you remember what is it? Psalm one thirty, what is it? One thirty six, one thirty seven, something like that. It's like the Hebrews are in Babylon in captivity. They're sitting by the river and they're making up songs of their dreams, and their dreams include being able to hack to death the babies of their enemies. Mm-hmm. Bash their heads. Mm. Like. So, like, this is how wartime worked. I mean, we're a little bit sanitized. Like, we don't kill our own meat. You know, people who eat meat, we don't kill our own food anymore. You know, we it, we go and, and get it from a grocery store where we never have to be faced with the fact that there was, you know, like this animal died and then was cut into these different parts and now you're going to eat, right? Like, we're a very, in some ways, a very sanitized state of in history just because we're broken down into industries and everything can happen over there that we don't want to be part of. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Including yeah. war, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, you know, I think that was one of the reasons why, you know, when the Vietnam War happened and people actually started getting pictures of what was happening Mm -hmm. in in some grim, gruesome detail, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's maybe why we started seeing such a protest against it, because we started realizing war is really, really nasty. And also the hippie movement was going on right then. Well, sure. But, you know, in a way that civilians, we don't see it. You know, we hear about things happening. And even more, you know, you know, things happen happen from such a distance anymore, too. You know, we can shoot missiles for miles. People don't even see the enemy. They just they know that yep. that's where they are. And they, you know, they calculate their, their guns and boom. And, you know, they wipe people out and they never even look them in the eye. So, you know, we don't. Yeah, it, very sanitized. Very. Yeah, we don't. See, really I think when you do that, that, you you the common person starts to see this and then they rise up. Just like you had all the protests in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um, But like even today, what is Russia doing with Ukraine? They shut down all the Internet. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't want people to see that. Yeah. You know, so you only have to get the stills. So it it goes back, you know, 50 years and it's not as a continuous flow of this. And you have to hear it, you know, on the news. Oh, such and such civilian site was was hit. But you don't see pictures of it. Right. Yeah, because I think the minute you start to see pictures, then you start to get, you know, the the outcry from, you know, regular people that are like, okay, this is just out of control. Yeah. Start to bark about it, and you know. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Are the dogs making too much noise? They're outside. No, they're fine. I just have no. Um, They're fine. They're just commenting. That's all. My. My Bible has an opening commentary that kind of orients you or whatever. And it's it, one of the things it says is in its hatred of enemies, this book, like many Old Testament writings, simply had not yet come to the fullness of the revelation of Christ. It is ridiculous to measure this age by the yardstick of the fuller revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, that was fantastic to me because there's so much brutality in this book. Um, and so that is helpful to keep in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. You know, the other thing that kind of jumped out at me as I was reading that commentary was people have doubted uh, that Mordecai wrote this book because a lot of people think he did. Um, Some people think he didn't. But right towards the end, uh, it says um, a bunch of positive things about Mordecai. And so given, though, the story (laughs) and the culture that he lives in, to my way of thinking, you know, him just saying, uh, and I, Mordecai, I wrote all this stuff. It doesn't seem ridiculous to me. Like, yeah. to me, it seems like he potentially could have written it because, like it says, he was great among the Jews and he was accepted of the multitude of his brethren. Um, and he sought the wealth and peace of all his people. And so that sounds like such, you know, a braggadocious statement. Um, and yet, in reality, given the entire culture and the way that this book is put together, that doesn't seem out of line. Anybody else? Yeah. You know, but this is what I was wondering, too. And I, I heard this in passing, and I don't know. And I, I've been going through it and looking at it. But God's not mentioned in here. Not once. I know. Isn't not that weird? once. Yep, not one time. Yet he's underneath all of it. You can, you can read you in can, there. You can gather at it. And it says, you know, let's pray. But... Not once do you see God in there. Nope. No. Yeah, it is an interesting book in that aspect. Currently what's going through my mind is Moses was a humble man. 
more humble than any other man on the face of the earth. That, oh, right, right. Yes, exactly. That that line makes me laugh every time I read it. Yeah, because you know traditionally we believe that Moses wrote the the the, the Torah. <laughs> And uh, when he's, oh, yes, Moses was so Let me throw humble. this in here. Let me just throw this in here. <laughs> <laughs> I was so humble. Reminds me of a president we once had. I'm I'm so humble. I, no, nobody's more humble than me. <laughs> ever, ever in the history of the world. Ever. 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 <laughs> so yeah. funny. <laughs> oh, anyway, gosh. So just, for, just for fun. I almost said a bad word there, but um, just for fun, <laughs> I actually went and did a little bit of research on Purim. Purim, how do you say it? Purim, I think. Purim it's or Purim? I think it's Purim, but Purim is not. Yeah, it's not. Now, what's what going on that? there? <laughs> that means somebody's calling in right now. Since I'm on call. <laughs> Tracy's on call. <laughs> you have the same ringtone as me, Tracy. I do. I, I do that just on call day, so it catches my ears. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say about Purim, though? Or um, Purim, or how are you I, I think say it, it? I think it's Purim. Purim, if I remember correctly. I actually read a thing about the pronunciation of it. Um, so there are several traditions. Okay. So one is the date, of course. Um, but that's the same as that's just because it's the day that it happened. So what was this? The twelfth month in the Jewish calendar? April is the first month, so this happens in March. Yep. And then, um, so remember last week we discussed briefly like why were people in costume, right? So mm -hmm. I was looking up pictures of it, and it was hilarious because like the average costume that I saw was either like a king, a queen, which okay, that's understandable. Yep. Um, clowns like clowns abounded and i was just yeah. like why are there clowns right and then the funniest ones i saw was a an attractive young jewish couple dressed in full native american garb <laughs> like feathers and war paint and like and i was like really like i feel like there's something weird ethnically going on here anyway so the reason why they dress up in costume okay so this was one of the things i was curious about why do they dress in costumes one of the traditions is that you give money to at least two poor people on that day. And they decided that the people who needed money might be embarrassed to go out and ask for it so they could dress in costumes. Mm -hmm. Right. So historically, that's where it came from. And then over time, as people's finances leveled out and the gifts to the poor became less important, it just became a day of costumes. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So now it's just like a fun thing that fun thing that people do. Because we dress That's what stood out to me. Yeah. We dress differently was, that, on that's part of it. Purim to minimize the embarrassment of the poor who go around collecting mm -hmm. charity on this day. Mm -hmm. And also it commemorates the fact that Mordecai got dressed up twice by the king. <laughs> Yeah, I was reading some of that. Some of it too, I think, was the. I'm trying to remember. There, there was there was a lot of things behind the costumes that might have been reasons why they keep doing it. And that that was some of it, and some of it was indicative of things happening. Or I'd have to look it up again. I'll put a I'll put a link up or something about it. But um, originally, it sounds like they would send gifts to the poor, which is a better way to handle it than to make them come and beg. 
because that's mm-hmm. what it says in verse uh, 22. They would send gifts to the poor. Right. So I'm talking about the holiday of Purim. Right. Right. Yes. Not not necessarily the way it was lived out. Um, yeah. So here are here are the traditional observances: giving money gifts to at least two poor people, sending gifts of two kinds of food to at least one person, and a feast, which often includes wine or other intoxicating beverages. Yeah. Oh, and the reading of of the Book of Esther, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's all. As it's written out there, called Purim, which I think, or whatever, how have you said? But um, where we talked last week a little bit, how the reason it gets that name is because they were casting the poor, which is uh, P-U-R, which is like um, sort of like casting lots. It, yeah, it um, means but lots. they specifically said casting the casting poor in order to determine the day that the Jews were supposed to have been killed, mm-hmm. and and so that's why they use that word Purim. Yep. And now it's a celebration, or it was a celebration. It seems like a celebration that we could even consider ourselves a celebration yeah. that the adversary suffered the fate that he had plotted against the people. I think that uh, that should have some implications for us even today as Christians. So I just wanted to get back to something Tracy had said, which is, you know, we don't hear the name of God throughout this. We do see people praying and we see what we would call providence. But I've written a note to myself in my own Bible. You know, when you read this, the whole book, and you just keep the whole thing as one complete story, to me, the overarching story is God is with us in the strangest places. Mm-hmm. So we we walk into this storm, like they're in the captivity, there's, they're in a, under a foreign king, there's lots of drinking, there's brutality, God's there. And to me, that's the story right there. Sometimes your light shines in in dark places. Yeah. 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 Well, to me, there's an underlying story, too, where this is it's sort of a a big picture of the whole story of salvation, where you have these individual, these different characters who, to me, represent different characters within the story of salvation. I mean, to me, Haman is obviously a type of Satan Um, in a lot of ways to me, Mordecai is a type of Christ. In some ways, Ahasuerus, even though he's a brutal dictator and blah, 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 as the king of the nation, in some ways, he comes across to me as God the Father. Uh, and then Esther and the Jewish people, in a lot of ways to me, represent uh, the church, those who are, you know, the people. Because you've got, you have... You have a king's law that is used against, tried to be used against the people. The people are being set up to receive a punishment. The adversary ends up in the end getting the punishment, and the people are saved, you know, through through all of it. And so I see, even though, like we said, God isn't specifically mentioned at any point in this book, it just I feel like there's this underlying story where this is, uh, it's just one more little way that God gets out this plan of salvation, understanding that this, this punishment that's intended or, you know, that, that, that the people could get for not, how do I want to say this? The way, the way the law is, is written would make it so that the people would get punished. But because of the, the way that the adversary, through his own 
actions and because of his own egotistical attitudes, it ends up backfiring on him and he ends up having to take it and the people are saved from it. So, uh, so, so I, I, I just, I, you know, I just see it as a big, as a, as a big story of salvation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> because even beyond that, you know, as I said, Mordecai is sort of, he sort of as a type of Christ to me, the whole, the entirety of chapter 10, which is what it's like one paragraph, the entirety of chapter 10 is Mordecai's advancement and, and his, his being exalted for his part in all of it. And to me, that's, that fits as being a part of, you know, as Christ is exalted as well um, in his part in our, uh, in, in the salvation of, of uh, the people of the world too. So, um, you know, it's in some weird ways, you know, you wouldn't t- typically think of a guy like Ahasuerus as, as representing God, but, uh, you know, in a surface aspect, uh, sort of, you know, a little bit. Well, I mean, God has used and continues to use, I think, all forms of government and human power to get his work done. Mm -hmm. Like he's not, I mean, I I still stand, I've thought this for years and I still stand by it. I have seen nothing to change my mind in my half of a century of life now. Mm -hmm. And, And that is like, our goal might be to live well and, and, um, have peace and, you know, have a long and happy life. God's goal is to bring the earth to the point where he can come back. Mm-hmm. And those oftentimes when it comes to setting up human government don't result in the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just, I see him using whatever human governments are in place to get his work done, whether his work is favorable the conditions right then or not you know do you remember that verse proverbs 21 1 it says that the king's hand is like water or how does it say it um proverbs 21 1 the king's heart is in the hand of the lord as rivers of water he turns it whichever way he wants mm. nice. yeah. i like that yeah well it has to do with the fact that you know we're inside these political scenarios yeah uh god's in control yeah i look forward one day to hopefully getting a forty thousand foot view of the entirety of earth's history because i'm kind of fascinated by how countries rise and fall and governments do their things like i'm really interested in that i enjoy watching it and i try to get as much of a bird's eye view as i can by uh, i would say observing rather than being opinionated but all mm-hmm. the same Like when you see, when I'm down in it and I see things happening that are blatantly, obviously bad Mm -hmm. in the situation right now, like I'm just like, hey, we need to stop this, blah, blah, blah. And I think there's a time and a place for that because, you know, look at the religious persecution that was going on in Europe when the Europeans decided to cross over to the American continent, you know, or any other time that negative government has spread people out across the earth like there's all kinds of anyway i just i just think it's interesting watching all of that unfold and of course it's just my limited one person little perspective here but i look forward to someday being able to you know check out the video series from the heavenly blockbuster or whatever they have up there and watching it from god's point of view like moving these things around if you get up out of the individual people's lives what does that look like 
why did this happen? How come this went there? I just, I just am want to do that someday. Oh yeah, getting outside of our own perspective because we always have our own ideas of how things should go, and when they don't go that way, we're like, what's going on? Why did that happen like that? You know, and uh, yeah, it would be, it'll be very interesting to see how things go because I think you know someday we'll look at it all and we'll go, oh. I get it. I get it. Right. I would, and we'll say I would do it exactly the same way then because I see where it ended up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's, uh, that is largely the book of Esther. Now, Karen, you had mentioned possibly talking about the apocryphal books of and Esther. And yet I can't find it. Okay. <laughs> I have searched for the last three weeks since I mentioned that. I can see the spot on the bookshelf where it used to be because the books are laid over just a tiny little bit and there's space. Okay. <laughs> but I cannot find that book and I'm so annoyed. I don't know where it went. Yeah. Well, you can probably look it up online, but I know I have a copy here somewhere too. It, I've barely ever even cracked it but it could be interesting it's pretty it's pretty interesting yeah so it basically picks up the story of the situation in Medo persia at the end of the book of esther and then it goes on for a while mm. and i would say based on the language pattern based on the the writing pattern it doesn't read to me like the same person wrote it Which so is i can see why it was left off yeah that's just yeah. my take on it yeah well it is interesting though so our listeners, if you have a copy of that or have a available availability to it, maybe maybe you want to pick it up. Just take a look at it. You know, I mean, you don't have to look at it as scripture, but it might be interesting historically. So I don't know. I might pick it up myself someday and take a look at it. Alrighty. Well, we've lost we've lost two of our our members here. They both had to go for different reasons. And so it's probably a good place for us to end our discussion for the day. You're so abandoned. I know. They don't love us anymore. <laughs> Amy's Amy's got ponies to take care of and Tracy has to, you know, take care of people. I mean, come on. Anyway, than that, but okay. What was that? I said you'd think we'd be more important than oh, that, but okay. Yeah. Priorities. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. All right, well, next week we're going to get back into and we're going to finish the book of Ezra. We actually started Ezra quite a while ago before we jumped into Haggai and then Zechariah and Esther. So we're going to finish up the book of Ezra uh, next week. And after you know, following that, and then we'll get into Nehemiah. We are closing in on the end of the Old Testament. And uh, we're gonna, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. But so for next week, be looking at those last few chapters in Ezra. And while you're reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Uh, remember you can look us up on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors and relatives and strangers on the street. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.